Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Alex Pantich about key principles to attract, engage, and retain workers in a difficult labor market. Alex Pantich, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Miami, Florida. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about key principles to keep in mind when trying to attract, engage, and retain workers, especially in this difficult labor market. And of course, uh, people have talked ad nauseum about the great resignation, the great reevaluation, the great reawakening, however you want to term it. People have been talking about that for a long time. People have been talking a lot about quiet quitting and the impact that that's having, having on organizations and reasons for it. Uh, I think our conversation today is going to tap into those pieces, um, but but honestly, I think there's more to explore there. And and honestly, this has been an issue for a really long time. So even pre-pandemic, organizations were struggling with attracting, engaging, and retaining good people, uh, especially in particular industries, tech, um, STEM, uh, healthcare. You know, there there were certain areas where it was even harder. Um, to get good people and to have them stick around to really be committed to the organization and to do great work. So a lot of the, these conversations that we're having today, they're not necessarily new conversations. They've been conversations we're ha- we've been having for a long, long time. Uh, they've just gotten more, I think, public attention, more media coverage and those sorts of things, given kind of the scale of it right now uh, and the the impact of the the, the COVID pandemic on all of this. So anyways, that's what we're going to be exploring together today. I'm super excited to have the opportunity to chat with you. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your insights and your wisdom with me and my listeners. As we get started, I wanted to share Alex bio with everybody. Alex Pantich is the president and co-founder of Upshift, an on-demand staffing platform that is helping usher in the future of work. Upshift's platform connects businesses with pre-screened W-2 workers to fill a variety of roles from hourly to full-time and everything in between. Their platform streamlines the entire process of hiring and paying flexible workers, allowing businesses to cut down on costs while also maintaining a dynamic, high-quality workforce backed by Recruit Holdings, Inc., the owner of Indeed.com and Glassdoor.com, Upshift has a success rate of over double the industry standard. That is fantastic. And we definitely need 
more of these sorts of platforms to ease the burden on organizations when they're trying to hire uh, in staff. And sometimes it's freelance, sometimes it's contingent, sometimes it's W-2. Um, ultimately, though, I think organizations need more flexibility and more options when they're trying to to fill the needs that they have. So I think what you're doing at Upshift is is excellent. Uh, anything else you would like to share with me and my audience by way of your background or personal context before uh, we dive on in further? No, I, I think you did a great job with the bio. Thank you, John. Okay, cool. So let's start laying out some of these key principles. What would you say are the, the top things that employers need to be really keeping in mind when they're trying to you know, think through that staffing, those the strategic staffing elements and the talent acquisition, the, the attraction, the engagement, and the, re the retaining of great workers to add to their team. Uh, I, I think one of the biggest parts of it is putting yourself in the worker's shoes uh, or the candidate's shoes. I see that that doesn't happen um, sometimes at organizations. And I can give a great example of this. Uh, there was a, a client that we work with that uh, we were not having trouble getting anyone to work uh, for them through Upshift, but they were having trouble getting direct applicants. Um, and their HR director asked me to hop on a call and walk them through why we weren't having trouble getting applicants so that they could potentially implement some of those learnings. And before the call, I actually went and applied for one of their jobs and I went through their entire application process um, and I took a loom of it and I sent it to the, the director of HR before our meeting with the details. Um, and this director had actually never gone through their application process before. Uh, someone had set it up, you know, eight or 10 years ago. And ever since they had just been copying job postings and they hadn't really reviewed what the candidate experience was like. And I think that that's something that in our industry can be forgotten. Sometimes people just kind of set things up, they forget and they keep running. It's really important to be thinking about constant improvement and making sure that you're testing what the candidate experience is like. Um, I, I see in lots of other industries that they have things like mystery shoppers, for example, in the retail industry, to make sure that stores are properly serving their customers. And I think a lot of times that doesn't happen in HR. And I think that's a good practice to have, to have kind of ghost or mystery shopper uh, candidates coming and making sure that your process is actually good for the candidates. Because a lot of the time, I think HR people aren't necessarily checking on that, not not because they don't want to, sometimes they're just super busy, but I think it's important to prioritize making sure that your processes are good and that they're remaining, remaining good. Yeah, we talk about customer experience all the time. Uh, employee experience is equally as important. And if we want to hang on to really great people, and if we want to have a reputation as being an employer of choice where, you know, people want to actively come and where, where our employees are actively asking, you know, their colleagues, their network, their friends, you know, say, come work with me. This place is amazing. Um, the process is, is smooth and all, of, you know, if we want to make it as attractive as possible. Uh, and when we have, you know, people fumbling out of the gate, so to speak, you know, as they're just trying to apply for a position, let alone, you know, sloppy hiring practices and onboarding and, you know, just a poor experience at, at work, you know, all of that just contributes to people, you know, having buyer's remorse. And so even if they apply for the job, even if they end up taking the job, they may not be sticking around for very long. And we know right now that that employees have a lot of leverage there because of the tight labor market, they have options. And so it's not enough for us to just have something that looks appealing to someone and, 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 you know, 
get a posting up and, and hopefully have a good pool of people, um, it, it, there's much more to it than that. And so employee experience, the, the holistic employee experience from the very beginning, from the recruitment um, all the way through is, is key here. And if we can't do that, we're really going to be shooting ourselves in the foot. And to your point, I don't think anyone's like actively trying to make a bad experience, uh, but most people just aren't really thinking about that. They, they don't know where the bottlenecks are or the, the pain points are. Um, we pay so much attention to this for customers. Let's remember that on the people side, as we're recruiting and trying to attract people to come to the organization, they are our customers. So we need to treat it that way. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think one of the, the things that organizations don't do enough that they should do is utilize the talent of their marketing team uh, with their recruiting. Uh, it's, it's very common for organizations to have HR people write the job descriptions and edit the job descriptions. And I think what happens in those instances when the only stakeholder is someone from HR is that the job description is very focused on laying out all the details rather than attracting the candidate. And so I think it's actually a very good practice to have someone from your marketing team, if you have a marketing team, uh, involved to bring a marketing mindset to the job descriptions that you have, because there's a lot of changes that you can make that make a huge difference. And I can give one great example. Um, our sales team was uh, having trouble hiring in, in two cities, and they went to our marketing team and asked for some advice on what to do. Uh, and the marketing team made a couple of, of changes, one of the biggest ones being adding work from home in the job title um, on Indeed, and their applicant volume went up over 50% after that, as well as some other changes. Uh, so getting the marketing team involved can make a huge difference. And I think viewing candidates as customers is, is the first step in that journey, because uh, that's where the marketing team's usually focused. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great. Uh, any other key principles, kind of overarching, or or shall we say, foundational key principles that you think are are really important as we're thinking about this attraction, the engagement, and the re retaining of good workers? Uh, I think that it's very important to make sure that people know uh, where they can advance in the organization. Uh, a lot of organizations you get in, and it's not very clear how to advance or where you can go, uh, and so. We've seen that organizations that are really successful in, in retaining people, usually when they come in, they're laying out what a career path looks like there. You know, if you stay here for 20 years, where could you go? Uh, and I think that's very important because you want to put people in that long-term mindset when they start with you. You want them to feel like they can, you know, retire at your company. Uh, and they're not going to feel that way unless you're able to lay out a path or a plan for how that would look. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, again, just let's make sure we're being very uh, people centric. Uh, and one of the things that people want when they join an organization is that they want opportunities for continual growth, development and advancement. Now, sometimes that means formal advancement, um, promotional opportunities, climbing the ladder in the organization. Uh, more and more organizations are trying to get a little flatter, trying to get a little bit more agile. And so it, it doesn't necessarily always have to be, you know, a formal title opportunity or promotional opportunity in the way that we might traditionally think about it. But there are lots of ways that we can embed, you know, and, and communicate to our people opportunities for continual development, continual growth, uh, in resources and investment into them, their skill sets, their constant reskilling and upskilling, 
and also, you know, ways that they can be involved in really cool projects that will progress them in their career. Uh, and yes, there will be some opportunities for, for advancement, for promotions uh, in a formal sense, but there will also be opportunities for overarching career growth in the organization. And that's an organization that has a learning culture and experimentation and an agile culture with growth mindset, abundance mindset. If you can communicate that effectively uh, through your recruitment and hiring process, and through your onboarding, and you can integrate those pieces throughout and, you know, embed them throughout the organization, the culture, the policies, the pack, the practices, the procedures in the organization. Those are the types of organizations that the best people want to work for. They want to be there because they know that they're going to be constantly invested in. They know that they're going to have the resources to do their job well. They know they're going to continually be working on cool stuff. They know that they're going to be able to work with the best tech and the best, you know, have the best resources to be able to do those things. And sometimes that comes along with great pay too. And sometimes that comes along with, you know, promotional opportunities too. Um, but let's just think think through that holistically, right? Like there's so many things that we can communicate to our people so that they feel those opportunities for continual progression. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the best ways of doing it is, is visually. Uh, we use a progression framework, which uh, we actually got the idea from Microsoft. Uh, but essentially, everyone in the organization can see where they can go, um, potentially in other departments or in their own department. And they have the ability to not just grow up in terms of becoming you know, a manager with more and more people working under them but also grow horizontally as an individual contributor, uh, you know, by increasing their compensation, by becoming better at their job uh, rather than moving into a new one. Yeah. Excellent. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what employers need to, to be doing then, you know, as we're responding to the great resignation, uh, quiet quitting, you know, some of these um, terms that people have been throwing out there. The reality is it's just hard right now. It's hard to keep good people. Lots of organizations have a lot of open positions. Um, and that, it, that puts a burden on everyone else on the team because people are picking up the slack and, 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 so then you start to experience burnout. Uh, part of the reason for quiet quitting is because so many people have just felt leaned on so heavily um, to do extra work because there are unfilled positions, right? And there's only so much people are willing to put up with that. So what what can uh, organizations, what should organizations be doing to respond and to overcome um, th th these impacts of the great resignation? Uh, and in what way perhaps does you know flexibility play a role in attracting and retaining great people in this environment? Yeah, so I'll address first kind of the hourly portion of the workforce. Uh, I think one of the, the biggest things you can do there is offering flexibility from what we've seen. Uh, there's a lot of people who can't necessarily work 40 hours a week, uh, but are willing to work for you regularly and be there every week. And a lot of organizations still haven't made, uh, haven't opened up opportunities for people who need to be able to work flexibly. And so they're losing those people. And we see it lots of times with clients where they may have someone who's full-time who um, that person needs to be working now four days a week because they have a sick relative or this or that, and they're not allowed to uh, because the rule is everyone has to be here at least five days a week, at least 40 hours a week, unless you're taking PTO. And so you're losing good employees when you have hard and fast rules like that. I've also seen other organizations where as they see people churn, instead of allowing flexibility so that they can fill those gaps, they force their existing employees who are still there to work overtime. Uh, and that is also a short-sighted mindset because you just increase churn. 
So I think organizations need to figure out how to open themselves up to flexibility on the hourly side. Uh, how can we allow someone to work here two days a week or three days a week rather than five days a week? In a lot of instances, you're able to. You know, Cindy can be there Monday through Wednesday and John's there Thursday through Friday. They're both trained. They both know what they're doing. There's no reason to say that both of them have to be there 40 to 60 hours a week, especially when neither of them may be able to. Uh, and so that's something that we've we've been really advocating for in a lot of organizations is to allow people to have some flexibility in their working hours. And it makes a huge difference. Uh, when you start to allow flexibility, you don't really have trouble staffing anymore in a lot of instances, as long as your pay rates are in line with the market. Uh, because as you, as you allow for more flexibility, you're unlocking other levels of labor. If you think of the labor market as a pyramid, with the top level being people who can work you know, 40 or more hours per week, uh, that's a pretty small number of people. And most of them already have jobs. And the people who don't have jobs, there may be a reason they don't because unemployment rates are so low, right? It's very easy to find a new job. So when you're saying everyone who comes in here has to work 40 hours or more a week immediately, you are really cutting off a very large portion of the market. And we've seen a lot of success with clients who allow people to maybe start flexibly. Maybe that person's working part-time at Starbucks, but they're willing to work two days a week for you initially at your manufacturing facility. And after working there for a month, they're willing to work for you full-time. But if you said to them initially, you have to quit your other job and come here full-time, they wouldn't have done it. And so that's a dynamic we've seen in the industry that if you're willing to do these kind of try before you buy scenarios where people have the ability to start out flexibly at first, you're able to get more full-time employees than if on the front end you say everyone has to start here 40 hours a week. So it's a big leap to quit your job and, and go somewhere new uh, working 40 hours a week. It's a lot smaller leap to say, hey, on my days off at my part-time job, I'm going to come work for you. And now that I've liked it, now I'll go full-time. Yeah, so that that's a great insight uh, for part-time workers, hourly workers. Um, how how about for uh, exempt employees and in other full-time types of arrangements? Yeah, and and for for salaried employees and exempt employees, we find that. The, the best way to retain them in terms of flexibility is trusting them. Uh, so there are certain roles where people have to be working, you know, eight to five. There are certain roles where people have to be in the office, uh, but it's not all roles. And so if that role doesn't really require that, we don't require that of our employees. Uh, and so, for example, if you're doing customer support, you've got to be there when the customers are around, right? Um, you've got to be working certain hours, but do you need to be in an office? No, only if you want to be. And so our customer support team is fully remote. Um, if they want to go into an office, they have the opportunity. We have offices in a number of cities, but most of them choose to work from home and we trust them to work from home. Um, now we have other roles where people do need to report to an office. Some of them are working on site with clients or they need to be in person for whatever reason. So those people may be required to, to go into the office, but we aren't going to require them to if there's not a strong business reason for it. And if their role doesn't require that they be available during certain hours for clients. We also don't have set working hours for most people. Uh, they have to show up for their meetings. Obviously, if you have meetings, you need to be there. But we find that some of our employees, especially in creative roles, some people are super productive from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. Don't know why. That's not how I work. But there's a lot of people who are really productive during that window, right? And for us to say, you, you aren't allowed to work during your most productive window. You have to work when you're really unproductive in the morning doesn't make sense unless there's a strong business reason behind it. So we try to trust our team to know when when is the best time for them to work and what's the best work environment for them. And we found that um, people want to stay when they have that trust. There's a lot of organizations that 
are built to police their employees. They're kind of, they're built around the worst possible employee rather than the best possible employee. And we try to build around the best possible people and assume everyone's going to be great. And if we have someone who isn't great, we handle it, but we don't treat great people uh, like criminals, which I think can happen sometimes in organizations that are built differently. If that makes sense. It does. It happens a lot. And, you know, I, I term that more of like a, a compliance culture. So rather than trying to drive commitment which will lead to more sustainable long-term effort uh, and in productivity. You have this compliance culture where it's kind of carrot and stick and, and pe- yeah, people who are top performers don't like that environment because they feel constantly. Um, I don't know. They like, like they're being treated like children and, and they just, they are not going to put up with that either. So absolutely. Let's, Let's um, show a little bit of trust towards our people and, and appropriate levels of flexibility is a really good way to do that. Uh, and people often can be very, very productive in a virtual or a hybrid kind of a work arrangement. So let's, let's give that option when it's feasible, when it's, you know, when it's, it, it will work with the type of business that you're running. Obviously, sometimes it's not feasible, um, but I think it's probably feasible a lot more often than we sometimes initially think. And so let's challenge our assumptions a little bit and, and really think through it, right? And and provide the flexibility where it's needed, where it's appropriate. Um, maybe last topic for us today as we're thinking about all of this, you know, we've been talking about how things are right now. How about in the coming years? You know, there's a lot of talk about the shifting nature of work, the future of work. Uh, what do you see, you know, in your opinion, what do you think are some of those trends that are going to continue to play out and shape or reshape the labor market over the next few years? Yeah, I think that you're going to see the fractionalization of work. Uh, we're seeing it already in the industries that we work in with Upshift, uh, where instead of, you know, having one full-time person, you might have two part-time people. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, it allows people a lot more flexibility. And I think once, um, businesses get used to it, it works for them better too. Cause the people who are coming in are happier because they chose to be there. They weren't ordered to be there. Uh, and that's another dynamic we're seeing is moving towards self-scheduling. So allowing people to tell you when they're available rather than you telling them when they have to be available. And I think, you know, in this labor market, that's you, you really need to be catering to the people who work for you. If you're trying to push down schedules on hourly folks, a lot of times they're going to leave. Um, you have to engage them in the process and maybe you can't give them every choice under the sun. You know, your facility might not be open all day, every day, but you can probably give them a couple different options. You know, here's shift A, B, and C, which one do you think would work for you? And which days can you come in for it? Uh, in a lot of instances today, that's not happening, but I think that's going to happen a lot more in the future. I think you're also going to see a lot and it. This is already happening too, but on the exempt side, I, I think you're going to see a lot more people move to a contractor model. Um, and in this instance, it's actually not going to be driven by employers trying to save money. I think it's going to be driven by people trying to live lifestyles that they want to. Um, when you're in that employer employee relationship, you don't necessarily have control over where you want to live to an extent. You know, a lot of organizations have restrictions around being in different countries, being in certain cities, et cetera, for good reason. Uh, there's a lot of compliance headache when you have an employee going between those areas. But a lot of people nowadays want that flexibility to live where where they'd like to. And so I think you'll see a lot of people who are higher skilled um, putting in their time as an employee, gaining those skills, and then moving into a, a 1099 situation so that they can get the flexibility that they wanted. Um, and we're, we're seeing that now too. You know, We see a lot of people who work for us who prefer 
to you know be under that 1099 model because it gives them flexibility to work whenever they want, to live where they want, et cetera. Um, and you don't have that in the employee, the traditional employee model. Yeah, I, I think that's those are both really great points. I, I agree. This is more illustration around just the flexibility and the shifting priorities of the workforce today. Uh, so I think those are trends we've we've seen happening for a while. I think they got accelerated a little bit during the pandemic, and I I fully expect for us to continue in that direction uh, as well as we move into the future of work. Lots for people to think about. Lot you know anyone listening, uh, get with your leadership team really think through some of the strategic staffing and talent acquisition issues that we've been discussing and where possible, I think flexibility is going to be key. So, so let's uh, be open to the possibilities and, and be creative about what we might be able to offer for our people and for our teams. Well, Alex, this has been a really fun conversation. I know at the time it has flown by, I have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with my audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. So you can reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn, um, Alex Pantich on LinkedIn, and you can find more about Upshift at www.upshift.work. And the last thought that I'd leave people with is, Um, I think it's very important to keep evaluating the policies you have in place to make sure if they make business sense. I think everything we tied back to, uh, everything we talked about ties back to the fact that when you have policies in place, you should make sure that there is a specific business ROI for them. In a lot of instances, there's a policy just for the sake of having a policy. And I think once you dig into your policies, you'll find that in a lot of instances, you can actually offer more flexibility than you realized. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much, Alex. This has just been a great conversation. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Alex can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.